This episode of the Hall of Justice is brought to you by Alara Health Products. Every time I turn on the news, there is something about COVID. There is something about the flu. There is something about viruses. Medical experts are understaffed. There's so much going on. The best way to avoid doctors is to improve your immune health. There's a product that I just learned about called Immune Extra, and it's the only product available that can increase immune health up to ninefold in as little as nine days. It does so by increasing the amount of messenger cells that alert the immune system of any invaders. It's only one per day for maintenance. Think of it as a multivitamin for the immune system. Dosages can be increased to up to 15 per day with no side effects ever reported after millions of doses. It's been around for over 30 years. It's just new to sports with friends. It's not new to the world. It's now available in a triple strength formula originally sold only by doctors. And if you have tested positive for COVID or any respiratory illness, it's a true medicine cabinet product. Immediately, when someone close to me tested positive, I wanted to know exactly what I should do. I contacted doctors. While we are not giving medical advice, this is something you want in your possession. It should be taken upon the onset of symptoms. Go to their website, www.immuneextra.com. And when you're checking out, get 15% off just for finding this from Sports with Friends. The keyword that will get you 15% off for the Hall of Justice. The keyword that will get you 15% off is Justice 15 for the Hall of Justice. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Justice 15 gets you 15% off when you check out. And go to their website and check it out. Because if you don't want to just take my word for it, listen, my word's not gospel. Neither is anyone else's that you might hear from today. But go to the website, check it out, read about it. And you know what else I did? I Googled it. Click on news. There's nothing about any harm. There have been no side effects. There's nothing about this that would be alarming. Give your immune system a fighting chance against everything that's out there in the world, including COVID. Go to immuneextra.com. Use the keyword Justice15, and they'll know you found out about Immune Extra from the Hall of Justice. Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great Hall of Justice... Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them, like, actually fighting crime. Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. 
Welcome to another episode of the Hall of Justice. My name is Seth Everett. This is episode 268. And, you know, we set out every year for New Year's resolutions to reach out. And there's like a target list. I call them my white whales. They're people that I've searched out when I came up with this idea for the podcast to try to get these people on. Men, women, children I've tried to get on. Who knows who else I've tried to get on. But uh, this is a gentleman who I have been searching for 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 a while. And luckily, he's writing a brand new Warner Brothers uh, direct-to-video feature. uh, And it gave us an excuse to talk to this guest. Um, If you know the show Young Justice, the story behind Young Justice is almost as interesting as the show itself. The Spectacular Spider-Man is a beloved show. And I have a confession before we get our guest on. The confession is the day Disney Plus came out and I subscribed, the first thing I hit play on was Gargoyles. Greg Weissman is here, co-creator of Young Justice, the writer of Catwoman Hunted. Greg, thank you so much for doing this. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I am indeed a white whale. I am very pale and <laughs> overweight. Yes, well, and we try, we, literally every, every time it's, uh, he, does anybody know Greg Weissman? Does anybody know how to get a, get a hold of him? And I, I couldn't believe that when it, when it came up that we were having you on the show. First of all, congrats on Catwoman Hunted. Um, how did you get Thank connected you. to the product project? They had a, you know, a, a cycle of, of writers that they had been using on a lot of the recent uh, DC animated features. You're, you've been working with DC, obviously, on Young Justice. How did the Catwoman project come about? I pitched it. I was aware that uh, the DC and Warner Brothers animation had, had done a, a Batman movie in an anime style and it had been a big success for them. Mm-hmm. And I was aware, uh, I was made aware uh, by uh, Jay Bastian, you know, Warner Brothers executive, uh, that uh, they were looking for another anime style thing to do. Um, and I thought, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Lupin the Third, Castle of Cagliostro, the Miyazaki okay. film. Yeah, yeah. And um, such a big fan that I, I did not rewatch it. I'd seen it years ago, many times. But I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to rewatch it now because I don't want to. It's fine that it's influencing me, but I was afraid that it's such a great film that I would. It would move from influencing me to overwhelming me. And instead of homaging it here and there, I'd wind up just stealing from it. I've uh, said that a lot about homework and study. Yeah. Uh, just don't do it. Just don't do it. Cause you don't want to go too far. Right? I understand. Right. So uh, I just thought, but that idea of a, a cat burglar um, stealing something from the bad guys, all the car chases, all the great um, scenes in that. I just thought this fits selena kyle this Mm. is a great vehicle and a great style of animation to use with selena kyle and i pitched that to the powers that be at dc and warner brothers and they said yes and that's that's why we're here that's awesome And, and and it comes here um what has been your take with the advent of streaming services and obviously you know you can you can reference young justice as well if you because you know, Young Justice kind of you know, got a new life because of the existence of streaming services. What's your thought on the DVD market or the Blu-ray market and how now these streaming, source, uh, streaming services either enhance the availability of these products or they don't? Um, you know, when, when Superman Doomsday came out 20 years ago or so, I mean, DVDs were the only way to get these things. Now, 
you know, you, you want to get the Blu-ray, you want to get the DVD, but if you have HBO Max, you're going to see it. Some of these products have been on Netflix. There, there's, there's different ways people are consuming this kind of media. I, I mean, in the short term, it's fantastic for us creators because it has ballooned the amount of work in the industry. Um, uh, you know, the fear is, is that like any bubble, what happens when it bursts? Um, you know, right now there are what, 633 and a half streaming services out there. Um, I subscribe it, to the half. Yeah, it seems almost impossible for all of them to survive to me. Um, I'd love to be wrong, by the way, uh, but I can't imagine that, you know, five years down the line that 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 I mean, they're going to be a handful of big ones. In essence, it feels a little to me like it's like network television back in the 60s you know i mean it, that uh okay yeah there was the dumont network and there was this and there were, but you know when push came to shove it finally came down to abc cbs and nbc sure and then you know fox and then you had all this stuff you know but at some point it feels like it's going to start limiting down again but hey we're not there yet and i'm enjoying the the balloon you know uh, and the opportunity that that presents to do product that um, that doesn't have to appeal to everybody simultaneously, that doesn't have to be watered down because there's an audience, uh, for example, for something like Catwoman or the latter couple seasons of Young Justice that are more adult uh, and can support it. Um, on Young Justice, we literally in our last couple seasons thought in terms of a Harry Potter model. Um, and what I mean by that is that when uh, my kids were little, my kids are in their twenties now, but when they were little, I bought the, you know, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and read it myself first to make sure it was age appropriate for my kids. And it was, so we all read it together. But if the book I was buying on that first day had been Deathly Hallows, I would not have read that to my kids because it was too adult for them. Right. Um, on the other hand, by going through those books from start to finish, by the time you get to Deathly Hallows, if you've read the six books previous, your audience is aged, your readership is aged with those books brilliantly. And just as the characters have aged, uh, the audience ages as well. And for Young Justice, we took that approach as well, which is that our audience started watching this show in 2010. 2011 and you know 10 years later they're not kids anymore no and so we aged the show up with the audience um on the assumption that any new young viewers could also start with season one because now it's available easily you can stream it um and what's great about something like catwoman is there's a whole audience for that now which always existed but which I think the studios were afraid to hit head on. Uh, now they're like, yeah, we can do a Catwoman movie that's a little more adult because we've got plenty of other stuff that's preschool and everything in between. Mm -hmm. And that breadth of uh, material that's uh, being made now and is being made available now 
is a direct result of um, what streaming has brought to the table. Um, now, whether that survives, uh, I'm a, I, I wish I wasn't. I'd love to be a glass half full kind of guy, but I am a glass half empty kind of guy. So whether that survives, well, I don't but, know. But, but, I think uh, you're, but I think it's both. You bring up an interesting argument and let me just throw this caveat at you. Um, before the streaming services burst their bubble, I think cable has to burst its bubble. When cable but bursts its bubble, because, you know, not to bring a sports analogy in, but when, you know, the NFL Sunday ticket goes to Apple or Amazon or ESPN or wherever it goes, you know, you're going to have two, three more million people that cut the cord. And, you know, going into 2021, it was 50-50. I think you have to get to a point of where everyone is streaming before you can then say the streaming services are are going to burst. So it, it, I'm not saying that you're wrong. I'm saying that that's really far off because there's going to be a yeah, lot of loyal long, people. That it's came. a long haul from here. And, and, uh, and, you know, like I said, I'd love to find out that, that the end result of this is still that depth and breadth of material that we're getting these days. Um, I, uh, and I, I hope that's true. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> I too. Uh, by the way, you co-created uh, Young Justice with Brandon Vietti, who uh, has been on this podcast before, episode 202. I want to make sure uh, people referenced that uh, episode 202. So last year, at some point, uh, we had uh, Brandon on the, on the show. Um, speaking of streaming services, and it, it's a natural transition, they announced uh, the DC Universe. When Young Justice had been canceled, the idea i guess what i wanted to ask you is had you put it to bed had you been comfortable in your artistic mind had you said okay we had a run i mean big biggest criticism not of the show but of its time was cartoon network kept airing it in all these different places i, I remember that and it was all over the place and as an adult that was getting dvr that, that was i'm not that fan you know i'm not that that mm -hmm. that target demographic fan the idea of as an art, as an artist, had you said goodbye to Young Justice in your mind, because the concept of a streaming service had never been conceptualized at that point. Right. Yeah. No, I had not. Um, but you've got to keep in mind that that's just not how I'm built. Um, like I think Brandon had. I mean, I'm, you've talked to him, so he probably asked this question, and I've heard him say that yeah, he had to he had to put it to rest. He had to move on. Uh, I never move on ever, ever. Uh, I haven't moved on from gargoyles. Uh, I haven't moved on from spectacular Spider-Man. I don't, I don't ever move on. Um, and I mean, I move on pragmatically because I have right. to Pro professionally. To, I, I get it. But, professionally, but art, art and isn't I always fall that. in love with the next thing I'm working on, but I never, I'm not built to let go. I'm not. Um, and so what wound up happening is uh, here in the States, the show got on Netflix, just the first season at first, and then the second season too. And I thought, okay, this is an opportunity. Um, uh, if we can demonstrate that this show has a fan base that will spend money, um, then 
you know, I looked for examples in stuff like Family Guy and Futurama. I mean, shows can come back. It's rare. You know, people now think, oh, yeah, shows come back all the time. Even now, even with Young Justice having come back, it's incredibly rare and incredibly unlikely. But it's the possible. fans of Justice League. Right. You know, it is possible. And I saw in it being on Netflix, just the fact that it was there, uh, a possibility. So I got on Twitter and started hashtagging keep binging YJ, um, which I still do to this day. Um, and it worked. Um, and, you know, it was months later, but Sam Register, who who's the head of Warner Brothers Animation, gave me a call and said, uh, I called Brandon too, but at the time I was at Nickelodeon um, mm. doing a preschool show, Shimmer and Shine. And uh, he called and said, I think we've got a shot at coming back here. Um, and um, the show did so well on Netflix. I think the initial thought was, all right, we'll do a third season for Netflix. But the show did so well that... Um, uh, I think that Warner Brothers says, why are we giving our stuff to Netflix? Why aren't we <laughs> doing our own thing with it? Right, and but that's suddenly, side by side with the creation of the DC Universe app, correct? Right, and and I think we were, I don't know this, but I think, I believe that we were a major impetus for the creation of that streaming service, the DC Universe streaming service, is that suddenly it was like, okay, we've got something pre-sold here that we know we're gonna get a fan base for. And now we'll add some live action stuff and some animation stuff and we'll put comic books up there. And, and it got very interesting very quickly. DC Daily, all that yep. stuff. Back with more of the Hall of Justice in just a moment, but first a message from Simply Earth. Simply Earth is an essential oil recipe box. Now, I'll be perfectly honest with you, I had no idea what essential oils were. I like oil, I like essential things, but what caught me by surprise and I loved it was it is a step closer to being toxin free. That's what you needed to know. I wouldn't recommend Simply Earth if I didn't love them, how pure they are, how natural my home has become and how they don't cost so much. Has essential oils always confused you? It confused me. The Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box will help you gain confidence and clarity in using essential oils to make your home toxin-free. In this time of COVID, especially with the latest surges, everything that is germs, everything that is toxic, everything that you want, you don't want in your home. You receive the recipe box with four pure essential oils, six recipe cards, and extras. You learn how to use your essential oils while making the recipes created by certified aromatherapists. You save money and you detoxify your life. You buy from a company that changes the world. Since Simple Earth gives 13% of all profits to end human trafficking around the world. The essential oils alone would cost over $100 from other companies, but with the Simply Earth Essential Oil Recipe Box, you get pure pure oils, six recipes, and extra ingredients for only $39. And when you subscribe, you get a free bonus box with even more natural goodies. You go to their website, but make sure you type in the end. 
simplyearth.com slash H-O-J for Hall of Justice. Use essential oils to support your wellness. Doesn't have to be overwhelming. Have fun making your home toxin-free with Simply Earth's Essential Oil Recipe Box. Plus, get a free 80-milliliter essential oil diffuser when you subscribe using simplyearth.com slash H-O-J. Make sure you put the H-O-J so they know you heard it right here on the Hall of Justice. Now back to the show. I'm not a modest guy by nature, and I firmly believe that a big part of the impetus of that was literally Young Justice. Um, And Between the Netflix ratings and the social media push? Because the social media push is fascinating. The fact that it was always trending and, you know, people that I didn't even see. This was before Twitter was showing topics. You had to follow people. And everybody I knew was retweeting stuff about Young Justice. You know, bring it back, bring it back, bring it back. And the next thing you know, it happened. And I said, wow, that, that's a very powerful social media tool. I couldn't right. believe it. I couldn't get over it. Uh, I couldn't either, but it was great and it worked. That's I mean, amazing. one of the things Sam said to us, to Brandon and I, is that uh, you guys created the perfect binge watching show. You just did it five years too early. Yeah. And uh, so we were back. We're making it. We made season three for uh, DC Universe. And then uh, DC Universe picked us up for season four. Um, not instantaneously. I mean, you know, we made the whole show. The whole crew got laid off, including oh, me. No. Um, and then I wrote Catwoman Hunted in between uh, really? the two seasons. And um and then they came back and said uh yeah dc universe said yeah you guys did great for us let's do a season four and so we came back and did that and then you know the world changed again and uh dc universe became dc universe infinite and hbo max was born and we moved over to there for season four um and then now we're holding our breath to see if there'll be a season five uh, again, it's not a lock by any means. I, I'm hopeful, but I. I uh, you but know. at the time this podcast comes out, there are 13 more, correct? It's 26 episodes. 13 episodes aired from October to December, and the back 13 uh, launch in the spring. And I'll go probably, I, I don't have an exact date yet, but it's somewhere around, I would guess, from about March to June kind of thing. Well, congratulations uh, on, on all the success. That's interesting that you wrote Catwoman Hunted in between. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of times our audience, and this is more for the audience, I think this is kind of elementary to, to yourself, but just the idea that, you know, when something is submitted as a script and when it sees the light of day, you know, um, it really it really is fascinating by how much time goes by. The, the best example that we ever talked about on this podcast was with James Tucker, when they talked about Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which was written years before Avengers Endgame. And it's, they're so similar. And they're so similar. And, you know, James tells this great story on the podcast about when he saw Endgame, because Apocalypse War had been written years before. And he was like, holy crap, they're doing the same thing. And it's, but Endgame came out first. You know what I'm saying? So it's, it, it shows you where uh, animation goes. Um, 
when it comes b- back to those features and you, you said you wrote Catwoman, you know, for a good stretch of time, uh, a lot of those features tied in together, very episodic, like a young justice. Um, now it seems that they're doing a bunch of standalones for the most part. There's some that tie in, you know, Justice Society, World War II ties in a little bit to Superman, Man of Tomorrow, but it's very loose and it's very kind of out there. What's your thought on the way Warner Brothers can do these? Are you a fan of the standalone one-offs or do you think that the building of things and the crescendos are something as, as an artist and as a fan, that's more appealing? Uh, I, 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 this will sound like I'm equivocating, but I honestly believe there needs to be room for both. Okay. Um, you know, that, you know, what's brilliant about the MCU is that you are able to do a comedy, a caper comedy like Ant-Man and a serious film like, uh, Captain America, Winter Soldier, and they all fit in the same universe and they all build towards something even bigger um, periodically. And I think that's great. On the other hand, if you never got to do a Catwoman Hunted because it's an anime film that isn't in continuity with the rest of the uh, DC direct-to-DVD movies, Blu-ray, whatever, um, that would be a bummer. You know, uh, if everything had to be, I mean, what's the point of having a multiverse if you can't have Tobey Maguire and uh, um, the other two guys? You know, I mean, it, it it's fun to be able to play with these toys in different ways. Um, but the idea of there being a narrative for a chunk of them um, you know, that's what we do in Young Justice. You know, we we have got a long-term plan, uh, which we've had from almost day one. Um, and uh, we are working towards that finish, whether we'll get there, whether we get picked up to do those episodes, I don't know. But we, and yet, Time you know, I should still be able to go off and do something fun with Catwoman that's only Young Justice adjacent, yeah, as right. opposed to right in that continuity uh two quickies on young justice um was it you brandon or someone else that decided on your own language whelmed moded and also <laughs> uh, the, that... the, like where did that come from and also the poetry during the closing credits like is, is that your personal stance on that or is that something that is you know s- c- collaborative it's all collaborative I mean, brandon and i are partners Specifically, the whelmed, all the what we used to call back in season one, are unwords. Um, that I mean, the whelmed conversation is literally a conversation I have with my kids. Um, you know, there's underwhelmed, there's overwhelmed. Why isn't anything just whelmed? And then you know, you look it up and you find out, oh, whelmed is what overwhelmed used to mean. Um, <laughs> but that's not how we use it in the show. You know, whelmed right. is like chill. You know, it's right down the middle. Don't get, don't, got to take it seriously, but don't overdo it. And uh, so that idea that young Dick Grayson, 13-year-old Dick Grayson would um, just be enamored of that wordplay <laughs> um, is to me the 21st century 
version of Burt Ward saying, holy oh, haddock, yeah. Batman, you know, I mean, it, <laughs> it, that idea of wordplay seemed to fit the character so well. So that initial idea came from me, the, um, but it's something Brandon immediately embraced. And so we both, uh, you know, I, if you looked at all the jargon that came out of it, and then how it evolved in the show is that we began to think every occupation has its jargon. Podcasters have their jargon. Animation right. writers have their jargon, right? Um, well, if you're a superhero, there's going to be jargon too. Where does it come from? It originates with someone doing some slangy thing, and then uh, and then it becomes something that spreads out, and pretty soon everyone in the group is using it. And at some point, you even forget. Wait, that's something we made up. It's just part of sure. your vocabulary. Um, and so we try every season to add a little bit of jargon because we think it makes it feel real. Ironically, it just makes it feel Young Justice. It make you know even yeah. with new characters, it just it feels like it's the same same show. Um, and, and in terms the, of the yeah, well, you also asked about uh, poetry. Our, yeah. our post credit scenes. Um, our idea starting with season three is to um, since it was no longer an, uh, a network show or cable show where. Um, the specific length of the episode had to be exact to the frame, literally, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in the old days. Now it's like, I mean, we yeah, have a minimum is. length because we don't want anyone to feel ripped off. Like, right. was that even a full episode? You know, but we have no maximum. It can go as long as we can manage with the budget. And obviously our budget precludes us from over the credits just adding a bunch of new material but we could do a little something and so we did a little something last year uh usually with a pet sleeping or something like that last season i mean and then this season i'm like let's see if we can just up the entertainment value let's put even more content in the credit sequence and so um i opened the first episode which i wrote with uh, a little conversation between dinah lance and uh, Violet Harper mm -hmm. and we decided to do that but for the second arc um, when everyone was grieving oh. it felt inappropriate and I think it was Brandon's idea to say well what if instead of that we had uh, Artemis who's a comparative literature instructor what if she read an excerpt from the book that we were sort of featuring in each episode so awesome. you have a uh, uh, Alice through the looking glass, you have, uh, um, the lady or the tiger, um, uh, you have, uh, the tale of two cities. Um, I know why the cage bird sings, you know, so it's like, let's read a little bit there over the credits. The credits will show something of value and then that'll be supported by, uh, things thematically and then by the third arc we felt we could get back to actually having additional content uh as well um but i think the idea of using those excerpts was brandon's that's very cool very cool um in our remaining moments uh to tackle two iconic products projects uh there are going to be fans that yell at me for, why didn't you spend more time on this um <laughs> Let's quickly, uh, Spectacular Spider-Man. Um, the look of it is so unique and the design of it is so different. 
yet the storyline is directly to the heart of the character. Um, I don't know how to overview this, but it is a beloved, beloved series. And now we're getting a lot of Spider-Man stuff and people still clamor for this show. What, what's your thought on looking back now at, at Spectacular Spider-Man? Uh, I loved making that show. Uh, the look is uh, completely inspired by the work of Sean Galloway, who just was able to create uh, versions of the characters that were um, both iconic uh, and contemporary um, that allowed yeah. for the squash great, and stretch. Great answer, that might... they're different, but it's still the essence, you know? Yeah, I mean, you still look at Doc Ock and it, it's not like you're going, who's that supposed to be? Right. You know, immediately it's Doc Ock. Right. You know, immediately that's the lizard. That's J. Jonah Jameson. I think, in fact, ironically, the character that immediately sold me on Sean uh, on Cheeks was his Jonah because he did a Jonah. I'm like, that is Jonah. This is the guy. Oh, so, um, and they're like, yeah, you also did Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, but look at Jonah. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we went through on some of the characters, he nailed it immediately for everybody involved. On other characters, uh, some of our partners at Marvel and Sony and uh, Hasbro put him through his paces, but he just really nailed it. But he also gave uh, our, my partner on the show, Vic Cook, um, the directing producer, the kind of ability to squash and stretch these characters because one of the things I, I pitched the show on um, way back when was that this had to be a Spider-Man that moves. The first movie had come out, the first Tobey Maguire movie had come out and um, everybody had seen Spider-Man move in live action in a way that no one had ever seen it before. And I said, that's what we've got to match. So I want a design style for this that allows the animators to go to town. I didn't want something that had all this comic book musculature and lines in it that you'd never be able to animate, that you'd have these great still poses with the character, but you'd never be able to see him move in any effective way. Hmm. And so we very consciously went for a style uh, which Cheeks elegantly brought us um, that would allow Spider-Man to move. And then in the writing, it was the same idea. I, we had what we called the five C's, which was it had to be um, contemporary. We wanted to create a version of the Spider-Man universe that was coherent and cohesive, um, but it needed to feel classic and it, we wanted it to look iconic. And I realized that iconic doesn't begin with a C, but there's a nice hard C yeah, sure. right after that I. So we call like those our five C's and, and that was the goal to, to borrow from every era of Spider-Man, but create a coherent, cohesive version of Spider-Man's corner of the Marvel universe that um, felt very organic, very holistic, and yet very, very true to the characters. And, and that's always our goal, whether it's Young Justice or Catwoman Hunted or Spider-Man, if I'm adapting someone else's characters, uh, you know, C-3PO in the episode of Star Wars Rebels that I wrote, you know, right, right. I want to get down to I what do a whole the... podcast with you about that. <laughs> well, I want to get down to the core of who these characters are, what makes them iconic, you know, over... 40, 50, 60 for Catwoman, nearly 80 years of continuity for the character. 
it's really easy for those characters over time with hundreds of writers and artists and editors and actors and directors having contributed. There's a lot that's great. And then there's a lot that's baggage, you know, sure. that isn't an inherent part of the character. And that was true of Spider-Man as well. So let's chip away those barnacles and get down to the core. And then you get someone like uh, Josh Keaton playing Peter. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's just hard to top. And I'd love to do more spectacular. Uh, again, I, I don't have a lot of hope for that because contractually, it's a bit of a cluster F um, between all the Sony, Disney, Marvel stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I, that's been just yeah. extremely complicated. But uh, I would, you know, if they gave me the shot at it, I'd love to do more. Um the difference between Spectacular Spider-Man, though, and Gargoyles is you don't have 40, 50 years of comic books to fall back on. Um, years ago, years before I ever conceptualized this po podcast, I did a, a radio show with Todd McFarlane and Keith David had come in studio. So I got to spend a lot of time with Keith David. He, he had been the voice of Spawn, but before Spawn, he was Goliath and uh, the adulation for this show uh, knows no bounds. It's a Disney show that's not a Disney show. It's a Batman show that doesn't have Batman in it. It had so much and was so ahead of its time. Uh, I would be a fool yeah. if I had you on this podcast and didn't reference. Uh, I very Sam rarely fanboy us, out, but I fanboyed out for Gargoyles. <laughs> When Sam said to us that we created Young Justice as the perfect binging show five years too early, <laughs> I thought I created Gargoyles as the perfect <laughs> binging show 25 years too early. Um, uh, what a great episode. You know, Gargoyles is still my baby. Uh, it was a labor of love. I'm not saying it was easy to make. Um, it was a challenge, but um, I had a great partner on that show too, Frank Parr. We had a great, uh, this was before I was Who came writing, from Batman, writing, the animated series. Yep. Right. Uh, we stole lots of people from Batman, the animated series, actually, <laughs> including our uh, original story editor, Michael Reeves, who did a fantastic job mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, bringing the script to life. Um, and then, yes, this amazing cast. I mean, you, you can't do better than Keith David as Goliath, Edward Asner as Hudson, Jeff Bennett, Tom Adcox, Bill Fogerbachy. Uh, Sally Richardson, um, Bridget Baco, Demona was played by Marina Sirtis, Xanatos was played by Jonathan Frakes, um, Puck was played by Brent Spiner, John Reese Davies played Macbeth. I yep. mean, uh. at one point we had like uh, Jamie Thomas and our voice director, who also voice directed Spider Man and Young Justice and Catwoman, oh, um, no. because uh, he and I uh, seemed to be joined at the hip sometimes um, <laughs> he once said i think at one point in our booth for gargoyles we had three generations of classic hamlet performers in there we had roger reese we had um we just had this phenomenal cast on this show uh both of regulars and guest actors and uh um and then a great style uh, art style on the show and some tremendous writing and, and the goal was and this is where I learned to do this was on Gargoyles it was the first show I produced um, 
let's make the show we want to see and cross mm. our fingers that the fans want to see it too. But that if we're not passionate about it, if we don't feel like this is what we want to see, this is what we need to see. If we're not passionate about it, how can we expect anybody else to be passionate about it? So what you do is you, you play to your strengths, you go with this, your gut, what you feel like, this is it, this is what I want to do. And then you just hope to hell that there are people out there who also want to see this kind of thing. And that's the lesson I learned on Gargoyles, which I've applied to everything else I've done since. Well, the, the neatest part about it, to be perfectly frank with you, is the storyline that these creatures turn to stone by day uh, was just a subplot. It wasn't the main thing. It, you know, eventually, you know, you mentioned Macbeth and the arcs and Xanatos and the building and the, the you know, all the different evolution of this show. You went into so many different places. You, if you had told me there was a Bible that you had read of this show from, you know, comic books from the fifties, I would have believed you. I, 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 I remember when it first came out, I was in college and I remember saying to people, is this from a book? Like where, where, what is this from? Where did this come from to, to conceptualize all of that? And you hear what Robert Kirkman said about invincible or the folks behind the boys, you know, just the idea that it's something that was your baby. I mean, yeah, you did it for Disney, but the reality of it is, is it didn't come from anywhere. It came from your brain. That's well, what's I mean, different about all of it. Young I, I Justice, Catwoman hunted. Catwoman's been around for uh, you know eighty years. You know, it came from a lot of people's brains. Sure. I mean, I, I'm I I consider myself the creator of Gargoyles, and I mean that, but uh, I didn't. Uh, produce the show in a vacuum. There were sure. hundreds of people who contributed. Um, in fact, I did write a very long Bible for Gargoyles, which at some point was on the internet. And if it was there once, it must still be there somewhere. Um, and because uh, nothing goes away on the internet. Yeah, but it was right? on That's the it was on the internet me. when it was America Online. I mean, it, it was on the original <laughs> internet. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's true. Uh, and uh, and we and I just went into detail. I you know this was the show started off as a comedy, uh, very much in the mode of Disney's Adventures of the Gummy Bears. In fact, that's what we set out to do on Gargoyles was to try and create a show like Gummy Bears that would garner more respect because we love Gummy Bears, which was created by Jim Magon, mm -hmm. um, and. I felt like that was a terrific show that didn't get the respect it deserved because it was named after a candy. Um, and so we created a comedy show uh, instead of about a bunch of multicolored little bears, we decided we'd make it about a bunch of multicolored little gargoyles and it would have this rich medieval backstory just like gummy bears had. Mm. But instead of setting it in medieval times, we'd set it in the present. And those two things that it was in the present and it was gargoyles instead of teddy bears um we thought people would look at this a different way and i pitched that show to michael eisner and he passed wow and so we went back to the drawing board and a guy named tad stones who created darkwing duck and other shows for disney uh he had at that time seen an advanced um 
print of Beauty and the Beast before Beauty and the Beast came out, but he had seen it. And he said, what if, you know, you've got this, you know, human female who's helping out all these little gargoyles. What if instead of all these little gargoyles, you had one big gargoyle? What if it wasn't gargoyles? What if it was the gargoyle? And that just clicked something for me. And I kept it as gargoyles. I wanted multiple gargoyles, but, um, but the one character that there wasn't a version of in the comedy development was Goliath. And so uh, an artist named Greg Guler and I created Goliath. And we took the entire comedy show and put it through the prism of Goliath and came out the other end with the show that people all saw on TV. It took us another year to sell Eisner on it. But once Eisner was sold on it, he became one of our biggest boosters on the show and helped protect the show from some of the dumbass things that certain people at the company wanted to do with it. Um, and, uh, and those were, you know, heady days. Um, and I was a development executive and Gargos is the show that I moved over to producing on because I was so in love with that project and had been so intimately involved with its creation all the way from the initial idea through deep into season one um, that I went to my bosses and said, I, I can't give this one up. Uh, usually I'd develop a show, hand it off to producers and walk away, start developing the next show. But this one was too important to me. And so I moved over to the other side of the desk and became a producer. Um, and, uh, and we just fundamentally got to make as a team the show we wanted to make. We, we talk about on the podcast out. a lot about how you can tell when a creator loves what they're creating. You can see yeah. it and you can tell that it's, it's something it, it's different and it's not to belittle care, uh, creators who don't love what they're, what they're creating, but you can tell when somebody's doing a job versus doing something that is, you know, a, a passion project. And, uh, it's so it's wild just the goosebumps that just to hear you talking about these characters uh, it just brings me back to a different time and like i said i wasn't a kid then i was a i was a full-fledged college kid you know that wasn't a geek didn't have a <laughs> have trouble making friends i vcr'd that show to death to watch it at <laughs> night and i watched it I usually watched it stoned but i watched it and i loved it it, it was a fantastic fantastic show um greg uh, social media has meant so much to your career um in that you know it helped bring back this this show um in anticipation of catwoman in anticipation of everything that you're working on um how do you embrace social media and how can people find you online uh i'm on twitter uh at greg underscore weissman and i try to get on uh you know when I don't want to say I'm on daily, but I'm on almost every day. Um, <laughs> and I try to respond to fans um, uh, in a positive way, sometimes sardonically. Sometimes my sense of humor comes across as uh, wrong. <laughs> but, uh, but I, uh, you know, I'm not above apologizing if I step in it. But, uh, uh, you know, sometimes 
Uh, I get a lot of requests for spoilers. Uh, I am notorious for giving away no spoilers uh, I think, about I think that's stuff. such a weak journalism question. Like, don't even ask. If you were going to tell it, you would have told it already. I, I don't mean like from journalists. I'm talking about fans, you know. But it, Superman, uh, Superboy's not really of, dead, right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not just answering that question. Um, one way or the other. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, if people have questions about process, if they have questions about stuff that's already aired, I'm uh, more than happy to answer those questions. A better place to ask those questions, though, frankly, I have a website, uh, askgregweisman.com, uh, all one word, askgregweisman.com. And that, I've been answering questions there for 20 plus years, and it's got an archive, and the archive is searchable. And the odds are, if you've got questions about gargoyles, about Spider-Man, even about Young Justice, if it's not you know, a recent question about season four, the odds are I probably answered it already. And you can go to that <laughs> website, search and find the answer faster than waiting for me to get around to answering it. Um, but uh, I, I do try to uh, be good to the fans. The fans have been really great to me. And 98% of the fans are just fantastic. Um, they, they're smart and they're, and they get it and, um, they don't necessarily like every single thing that we do or that I do, but, uh, they've just been terrific to me and I'm very, uh, grateful. And then there's the 2%. <laughs> well, moving on, what else do you want to know? <laughs> well, I will say to those, uh, that, that are those people and they're no strangers to Greg Weissman. If there's anything you heard in this episode that you have an issue with, I usually say, do me a favor to reach out to Greg directly and leave me the hell out of it. Uh, but <laughs> in that in that vein, he gets a lot of flack any, anyway. So if you want to give me some, uh, we, we, we'll try to deflect it for, for you. Um, Greg, I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did. Um, yeah, it was the, fun. Thanks. It, it is so cool to uh, see all these things come to fruition. Congratulations on, on Young Justice, on, on all the other things in your career. But again, uh, Catwoman Hunted. We're going to do a lot more uh, in the weeks to come here on the podcast about that film as it's due out uh, on Blu-ray on February 8th, both on Blu-ray and digital. It looks great. It really does. Uh, and we're not just saying that. You know, I would not promote something that is crap. Greg, you wouldn't let me. <laughs> that is Greg Weissman right here on the Hall of Justice. Catwoman Hunted is coming out soon. Stay tuned. We'll have more preview. We'll do a whole review of the film coming up in the weeks to come. We will see you then. Believe it or not, I'm walking on it.